And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. Starcast, the German football pod, brought to you by The Athletic. In today's episode, Bayern and Dortmund both win ahead of their big meeting on Saturday, David Alaba becomes the new Michael Ballack, Leverkusen are looking pretty boss with a Z at the end, and Julian Nagelsmann goes from suited to booted as Leipzig lose again. All this and more in Stahlcast. Hello dear listener and hello Christoph Biermann and Kevin Hatchard, our Stahlcast Double Trouble regulars. But before we take an Andy Möller style dive into the heart of the matter, here's a quick reminder that you can read all the Athletic's fine football coverage and plenty of other sports for just £1 per week at the moment. Go to theathletic.com slash StarcastPod. So hello, Christoph and Kevin. Where should we start? I think we have to start with Leverkusen. We haven't really mentioned them much this season, but they are... Back among the best teams, still unbeaten, three wins, three draws, and a pretty convincing showing against uh, Freiburg, where bigger and better teams have struggled in the past. 4-2. Christoph, is it time to take them more seriously? The question is, to what extent uh, to take them seriously? Are there contenders for the uh, international football? Yes, they were from the beginning on. Are they contenders for the Champions League? I still have my doubts. So I, I think they are now where we could could have expected them before the start of the season. But uh, on the other hand side, we, um, we, we have to congratulate uh, Peter Bosch that he um, found a way to let Bayer play in a way uh, that the missing Kai Harvards is not as much felt as we could have expected. How has he done that? It, it's so funny. I mean, it's it's the, the old uh, thing. We, we had it uh, discussed it with uh, Leipzig and Timo Werner. Yeah. So you have your, your, your star player is gone. Timo Werner in the RB Leipzig uh, context and, and Kai Harvards at Leverkusen. The two outstanding players. And what always coaches say, oh, there are options... Uh, for others, uh, they could fill the gap and develop and flourish and so on. And I think you can see it um, interestingly in the case of Bayer Leverkusen with, uh, with Lucas Alario, who was a, a kind of, yeah, uh, between the bench, sometimes playing, sometimes playing the lesser important matches. And now he seems to be, uh, become uh, the top scorer uh, uh, for, for Bayer Leverkusen. That probably also has to do with uh, Kevin Folland not playing there anymore, so to give him space. But but always, it's it's not not the kind of miracle solution. Uh, but but to distribute uh, the job that Harvard had um, on on many uh, different shoulders, and um, uh, very often 
it doesn't work, but in the case of Leverkusen, it obviously works. Uh, same same goes for, for Leipzig. It's interesting because I think they do need more consistency from guys like Moussa Diaby, Nadim Amiri, who scored a brilliant goal against Freiburg at the weekend. Uh, they also need more from Leon Bailey. We know the talent's there from Bailey, but he just hasn't been able to show that on a regular basis. I think if he can hit top gear, uh, a bit more often, then that's going to really help Leverkusen. And I think we'll learn a lot in the coming weekend because they've got a Rhineland derby against Borussia Mönchengladbach. And I think that's a really good sign of where they're at because the last time they went to, uh, they faced Gladbach in the Bundesliga, they beat them. Uh, Kai Havertz was instrumental in that. So we'll see how they get on against the Fulham Elf without him. Uh, I still think they're a little bit short. I still think they're too profligate in front of goal. I think they did at least have a good response to going a goal down and nearly having Sven Bender sent off against Freiburg. He had that uh, red card downgraded to a yellow after VAR. But I still think there's a bit of fragility there and I still think they miss too many chances at the moment. So the talent's there. They haven't yet proven that they have that consistency. Well, it's the old story really, isn't it, with Leverkusen? Uh, once those players have more consistency, I'm thinking of Bailey they don't tend to stick around. Um, it's only because they are inconsistent that they're perhaps still still playing uh, this season. But I saw this interview with Peter Boss in the Bundesliga magazine uh, for their uh, corporate uh, internal communication. It's being sent. Well, it's being sent to all the the clubs and the stakeholders. And he was basically railing against this view of him as an extreme coach who only knows one way. Thinks that, uh, that his some of the subtleties are being overlooked. Um, is that fair, Christoph? Do we perhaps sometimes unnecessarily slap this label on him that he's just this extreme pressing guy and doesn't know anything different? Actually, I've never seen him uh, like this. Um, I, I would call them ideolo ideological coaches. So they have that have a one great fantastic idea how about football um, should be played there are some around but uh, i think peter bosch doesn't belong to them um, so he is probably not the total flexible guy who develops uh, always a different idea where where he comes uh, to and uh, adapts completely to the abilities um, of his team but but i've never seen him like like this kind of a stubborn, only plan A uh, kind of uh, coach. Well, he's partially to blame, I think, for this characterization of him because he said last season, if plan A, I, I don't need a plan B, I just need plan A to work better. So he does have his ideas. I think the really interesting thing about Boss is that you kind of look at some of their failings this season, and I know they're unbeaten, but there have been games that they probably should have won that they didn't win. But that was kind of not his fault because the system works in the sense that they're creating lots of chances. Uh, they are playing well in games, but they haven't necessarily taken those chances. And you kind of uh, see him on the touchline, a bit like a frustrated parent kind of shaking his head uh, sometimes because so many chances get missed. And I think... There isn't much heat on him and there shouldn't be much heat on him because actually 
where they haven't quite hit the heights this season hasn't really been down to structural issues. I think tactically they're playing well. It's just been down to the execution uh, of basic situations in front of goal. Yeah, I think parents usually get frustrated if their children score too much, but maybe that's for, for, uh, for another day. But um, let's uh, let's move on. Um, Bayern and Dortmund are both on 15 points, um, which is... Good to see for, for the neutrals of this league. Uh, they both won in very laboured and very uninspiring, but maybe professional circumstances. Bayern went to Cologne, 2-1 win, never really threatened. And Dortmund went to their bogey team uh, of Arminia Bielefeld, where they have hardly won in recent decades, albeit uh, with the caveat that Bielefeld has, haven't always been in the same <laughs> division, um, and came away with a 2-0 win for, courtesy of uh, two goals from Mats Hummels, who might not make the next couple of games with a hamstring injury, but is cautiously optimistic that he might come back. I think we should start with, with Dortmund. Christoph, I think for much of the game, it looked like the typical Dortmund game that we've seen so many times. They are playing quite methodical. They're opening things up. They are keeping the same kind of rhythm. Bielefeld defend well. Nothing really happens. And then it all comes down to result. When they make the breakthrough and they come away with the three points, people are saying, oh, yeah, that, that's just what a good team does. They don't play particularly well, but they win and they don't concede. And that's wonderful. If they don't, then we're talking about Dortmund being uninspired and lacking that energy and that drive. Is something really different this year with Dortmund getting these kind of results? Or is it just all shaping up for one more epic defeat against Bayern and we're back to square one next week. At least they managed to win these games. And also they had, they had a similar match uh, um, in the Champions League against St. Petersburg and uh, were also winning not in style, but but in the end it, it, it all worked. And um, But I have my doubts if they are flying as high or high enough to be a, a real contender for Bayern Munich on the next weekend. Also, it will be, uh, uh, as now the whole Bundesliga is a ghost match, so there will be no extra from the yellow wall or from, from uh, 80,000 uh, uh, packed arena in in Dortmund and um, yeah but but at least uh, I think we, we have to praise them for that at least they are winning these games and last season we, we've seen a lot of games where they actually uh, didn't win it. I was on commentary duty for that game in Bielefeld at the weekend and uh, you kind of saw something that we don't see that often in the Bundesliga because Basically, you had one team that had no interest in getting forward. So Bielefeld set up with a back five, which they don't normally do. And it was all about containment. I think they had one or two breaks, but nothing really sustained. And you don't often see that a team that just says, right, we're going to see if you can break us down. Usually, they'll at least have a go at some stage. And we didn't see that from Bielefeld. So that was an unusual challenge for Dortmund. And I think without Erling Haaland's, they were still able to pick their way through. They were still able to create chances defensively. 
they looked solid. I know they weren't given that much of a test, but they did have total control. I did think Jude Bellingham was outstanding. Again, great energy, always wants the ball, always trying to make things happen. One fantastic cross for Akanji in the first half, and Akanji really should have scored. And when you've got a presence like Matt Hummels uh, at set pieces, that can make a big, big difference. So I thought that was as good as they could have hoped for in a way against an ultra-defensive team without their star striker, I think that's a bit of a confidence booster in a way. I think it's an interesting similarity between the Bayern and the um, Dortmund match that they uh, both uh, rested their best uh, striker and that that you could see some rotation because I think that's a... Um, uh, that's one will be one of the main stories in in weeks to come for the uh, teams that play international football um how to rotate properly to avoid injuries but always um have the best possible team for the most important matches i think it's a very complicated a process of of finding out how to do this. You can when we later on talk about uh, RB uh, Leipzig playing at Borussia Mönchengladbach, we had uh, similar things to to discuss. So this will be interesting how how coaches are doing this, and and I think sometimes they um, have to take risks. Uh, Bayern and and Dortmund didn't take many risks because obviously the quality gap between them and their opponents is uh, is so big. But uh, for example, Hansi Flick was complaining after the win at Cologne about um, that they uh, that it needed too much energy to win there, and and I think you can see the mind frame. Uh, the coaches are having uh, so so to not complete uh, completely invest your energy into uh, this kind of matches and uh, still get away with three points yeah that's certainly a, a key factor what, what i found interesting is that maybe in a strange way the game against bruges might be more important for Dortmund, at least in the in the short run i think the uh, the money from the Champions League has become so so important for for Dortmund as as a revenue stream that um, that they can directly influence, uh, whereas everything else is is not within their control at the moment. Having lost against Lazio, the opening game of the group stage is absolutely vital for them to to beat Bruges and maybe on another day Erling Haaland might have played in the Bundesliga and they would have rested him against Bruges. But now things are a little bit different. I have two questions. I wonder out loud. One, can Lucien Favre or, or will Lucien Favre stick to his uh, preferred system with four at the back against Bayern? Or will he revert to the slightly more reactive three at the back and, and try to go quite long and direct as he did with some success in the first half of their last meeting back in May? And the second question is, do we think that Dortmund have what it takes to withstand Bayern defensively? Um, I guess these two are connected, or maybe it's one of the same, two two aspects of the same question. Christoph? I think a lot of depends on if Mats Hummels can play or not. I think if if he if he plays, um, the the chance that they will play with um, four in the back instead of five or three, whatever you say, is um, is bigger. But um, 
my my gut feeling would be that um, uh, that the, uh, even when he's playing, that uh, there will be a kind of uh, safety first uh, policy because um, I, I think it's it's uh, uh, very difficult to beat Bayern with with a, um, with a lot of high press if you're if that's not your natural style. I mean, um, Hoffenheim did it very well, but they in general play uh, a different uh, football. And uh, so, so my, my gut feeling would be um, uh, that we will see a more defensive approach from Borussia Dortmund against Bayern. I think that's right. And I think the key will be to stay in the game because what we saw in the Super Cup was that they can hurt Bayern. I know Bayern, you know, maybe it wasn't, their best performance and it obviously is in the middle of this mad fixture list that they have but I think Dortmund will take a lot of positives from that game even though they lost they created lots of chances and and scored some good goals so I think they will feel they can hurt Bayern but it is about not doing what they've done certainly in away games against Bayern which is be blown out of the water in the first few minutes. They have to hang in there. They have to make sure that they're still in the game with an hour gone. And they know they have players like Sancho, like Haaland, who can make things happen in the blink of an eye. So I think that is the key. They cannot afford to find themselves a couple of goals down early. should be very, very interesting. I think for the uh, sake of the Bundesliga, we would be quite welcoming a Dortmund win. But, uh, but let's see what will happen. Uh, in the meantime, um, another point of uh, discussion is uh, David Alaba's uh, contract unlikely to be uh, getting renewed at Bayern. Herbert Heiner, the president of um, the German champions, came out on Sunday and said their offer had been withdrawn after the Alaba camp um, still hadn't agreed to extend and told Bayern to think again and up their contract offer that will not happen um, and the reason why I compared him to Michael Balak earlier in the intro is because of course that's exactly what happened when Michael Balak refused to renew his contract Bayern having waited for a long time uh, very publicly um, and very proudly uh, I would I might say <laughs> withdrew their offer and said um, they are no longer prepared to to uh, keep employing him and of course the up outcome of this was him moving to Chelsea as you would uh, recall Christoph because I remember you broke the story at the time did I you did in Süddeutsche Zeitung uh, the the uh, uh, Balak story oh okay. yes uh, okay that's long a long time ago but with the Alaba story I I, f I find it it all very strange and odd and I don't know uh, I I can't make my head around this because is it really true that Alaba is asking for so much money in the middle of this huge crisis and that's the one part I, I, I don't understand. I, I understand the, the, the other side that uh, uh, Bayern had uh, set a deadline at, that was end of October. The, it's, it's, um, we're past it now and then they decided to, um, to jump out of this um, 
uh, yeah, all of these talks or whatever it was and uh, wrangling or, or so. And um, there is something I, I don't really like about it. But, but you're an insider at, at Bayern, uh, Rob. Uh, what, what, hardly, what, what, hardly. I mean, my information is that, uh, yeah, Bayern did, did make a, a pretty good offer. Um, Alaba wanted a lot more money still, up to 20 million euros. That's the latest I heard. Over five years, plus a huge sign-on fee. So that is more than 100 million euros for a player who is, you know, in in the prime of his career, but won't have much uh, resale value. And I think Bayern, as has often been the case, feel that they have to make a stand. Not so much out of principle. I don't think they have a problem paying that kind of money. They do indeed pay the same money to uh, Robert Lewandowski and Neuer and perhaps one or two others that they don't mention in public. But it is more a case of not, I think, giving in to what they feel is unreasonable and would create huge inflationary pressure on the rest of the squad's wages because you can, of course, expect three or four other players looking at that new deal and thinking, okay, um, where, where am I in this? I'm at least as good as David. I want the same money. And then, you know, you suddenly find yourself in a situation where you're kind of Barcelona and everyone's on 25 million euros. So that, that is the problem. When you look at, so if you make a, an imaginary list of the top players of, of Bayern, uh, you would think of, of course, uh, Robert Lewandowski and Manuel Neuer and Thomas Müller and Kimmich and... And then at the fifth or sixth or seventh position, I would say you, you will find David Alaba. And um, so, so I, I, I completely understand uh, Bayern uh, that they don't want to, as you said, start this kind of um, inflation uh, where at the end you have a have to pay just too much money in the middle of a very complicated situation financially even for Bayern complicated situation the flip side to this is that of course they are losing um, one of the most uh, respected and liked players a huge fan favorite a bit of a symbol of the club having moved there in his in his late teens and of course you know finding a player of caliber's quality will also cost money and maybe it is a false economy to save 3 million euros a year but then you have to spend 45 million euros to buy the next next Alaba next time. Uh, so it, it is tricky but I guess that Bayern feel that the way that negotiations have been handled by, by Pini Zahavi's agent where a lot of those secret meetings um, turned out not to be so secret because media were tipped off immediately when they happened or beforehand. I feel it's also to do with with something a little bit more personal that they don't want to give in. And there's a third side to this, which is the suspicion that at least I have, and I'm sure one or two people in Munich as well, is that the demands from Alaba's camp were perhaps always designed not to be met, that this was not really a negotiation. This was just a very drawn-out process designed to run down the contract and enable him to have a free transfer next summer where he'll be in a much better position to go to big clubs who wouldn't have been able to buy him this year or pay him the kind of money he wants next year. Whereas as a free agent, 
in US parlance, he'll, he'll be cheaper. And you can then give him the money that you would otherwise have given to, to the club for buying him out of an existing contract. So I think that as much as this might look as if, you know, oh, you know, the Alaba camp, they've made a huge mistake, now the offer's withdrawn, I think there's also a good chance that that's what they actually wanted all along. Would you think that there even might be a chance that they try to sell him in winter to get some money out of, of this situation? I think it's extremely unlikely for two reasons. One, I think that the kind of money you can realistically get for a player who's got six months on his contract, I don't think really moves the needle much at Bayern. Um, I think Christian Eriksen, when he moved from Spurs to Inter, the fee was, I think, 20 million euros, which was a lot. And maybe they will think about it if somebody comes in. But at the same time, if they're still you know, going strong in the Champions League and he continues to be very, very important for them on the pitch... I think they'll probably say, you know what, that's not enough for us to, to, to sell. And the other reason is, I think, that the twin clubs would be crazy. I think, I mean, Inter buying Ericsson because they somehow thought that he's going to be the missing link and get them to win the Serie A was already a big gamble, which backfired. I don't think anyone's going to do something similar because if Alaba agrees to a club, he'd be, he'd be quite stupid, frankly, to, to move when he still costs money why wouldn't you get the 20 million euros for yourself six months, six months later? Um, so I, I think it's, it's not impossible, but it's unlikely. And the interesting thing now, of course, is Bayern, if they are categorically adamant that they, there is not going to be any rapprochement and any reconciliation, they can, of course, now look towards getting another centre-back in and... That puts them perhaps in a in a useful position because it's still only early November and they can actively plan now for what happens next summer. Be so, really interesting, Rafa, yeah. won't it, about the centre back situation because you've got Luca Hernandez who's been playing left back, but can't kind of made his name as a centre back. I know he won the World Cup as a full back, but known as a centre back at Atleti. Got Niklas Zula back from injury, and I think he's a fabulous defender. Alfonso Davies we've seen has blossomed at left-back, so that would allow Hernandez to move in there. Benjamin Pavard would like to play centre-back, but I guess, Rafa, it maybe puts them in the mix for Deo Upamecano because there's going to be an almighty scrap for his signature next summer, and you would think Bayern would be in that mix, wouldn't they, with some of the world's top clubs? I think they'd be stupid not to. His release clause is quite reasonable, believed to be 42 million euros. Of course, um, he will cost a lot of money. He's still quite young. But yeah, I'm sure they'll, I'm sure they'll consider him. But as you said, they, they're not exactly short in the centre-back positions. But I guess without Alaba and Boateng, they need at least one more uh, next season. And Upamecano is probably the best one in the league at the moment who doesn't play at Bayern, with the exception of Mats Hummels, who could always come back for a fourth spell, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, that, that's certainly going to be one of the considerations, uh, I'm sure, Daiopamecano. Okay, before we go, I think we need to talk about uh, Leipzig and Gladbach. Um, the sort of win for Gladbach that just underlines uh, and uh, confirms, I guess, the the kind of praise and applaudits we've been handing out to them over the last 
a couple of weeks. They were very unlucky not to beat Real Madrid, which has been a, re- a huge sort of marquee result for them. But the performance was was very strong, at least for the first uh, eighty five minutes, and they followed it up with um, with a win against Leipzig, looking looking very good. First, let's praise them before we have a go at uh, at Leipzig's flaws. Gladbach, just just good. What else is there to say? I had the chance to meet Marco Rose last week and and I was actually very impressed by his willingness. Um, that's how he, he was speaking about Borussia Mönchengladbach to kind of of, of uh, get them on a on another level. He also said uh, said it in 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 uh, after the match against Real Madrid, but he he, he said it also afterwards. Uh, he was saying that uh, we 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 have to go onto the pitch with the idea that we it's it's not not uh, uh, out of your minds to to win to win against Real Madrid, and I think they had it also against Inter Milan and and how they approach uh, the Bundesliga. I think. They are now trying to establish a mind frame for the the whole team, but also for individual players that they have not only looking where they are right now, but where they could be when you look at their potential. And uh, I think it's it's interesting when you see it at at the team there are uh, some some younger players like Florian Neuhaus, uh, Tyram, uh, player and so on, where the potential is uh, probably bigger than what they are what they are able to 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 do right now. And I think that's uh, very much how uh, Marco Rose is approaching uh, the whole thing. And uh, and you can see it. So it's it's not like this kind of uh, super optimistic out of the blue stuff. You can see there is a lot of in this uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach team. And maybe they are even better <laughs> than we think uh, they still are. I mean, that's really quite unusual in Germany, isn't it? That, that coaches... A, are open about the idea that they want to expand on the level that the team is playing in. It's usually all very, oh, let's see, and we'll have to think from game to game, and, you know, oh, we, mm. we, we are, um, you know, we have to be modest and humble, da-da-da-da-da. And secondly, I think it's it's quite courageous because you know always that people will be very, very quick, especially in Germany, to slap you down for those ambitions if it backfires and people say oh yeah haha you know um they wanted to be the next Dortmund but they are only the next Leverkusen because they finished fifth instead of third (laughs) um so it's it's a it's a bold move to take but I think also I feel it's necessary because I think you need that push if you if you want to transform this club into something different or or let's say if you want to continue on this, on this path towards success? Well, I think the psychological aspect is very important for Gladbach at the moment. So I think it was really important they saw it through against Leipzig. Jan Zoma, the goalkeeper, talked about that afterwards, saying that they needed to actually get the win, having got themselves in a really good position, like they did against Inter, drew 2-2, like they did against Real Madrid, again, drew 2-2. So it's about proving to themselves that not only can they compete at this level, but they can beat these teams. And I think they're learning all the time as a group. I think it was very, very important that Max Abel, the sporting director, was able to keep that group together. They didn't lose the key players that they might have done. And they've done all this without 
Denny Sicaria, who I think is really, really important for them in midfield. And I think, say they get a win against Leverkusen next weekend, then in the first seven games, they'll have faced Dortmund, they'll have faced Leipzig, and they'll have faced Leverkusen, and they might be in good shape. And so I think, given how many games they've had already and the quality of games and quality of opponents they've had to face has to go down as a very good start to the season. And to add here, we, we've been talking about rotation and Borussia Mönchengladbach was uh, starting without Tyram Stindl and uh, Kramer. And it was a for them, it was one of the top matches um, of the season. And um, so, so it's interesting that they can do that now and and still uh, get away with a very good result um, and and you also see there that the depth of the um, of, of the squad is uh, better than last season and you can see that the players have have or, or the whole group has adjusted more to the ideas of, of their coach yeah and I think in a strange way club are perhaps also among the winners of the coronavirus crisis because none of the big clubs came in for for their players or none of the middling clubs came in for their players either which I think otherwise would have would have happened uh, after after that season but Leipzig they lost heavily against uh, Manchester United uh, in midweek where perhaps they were beaten slightly more uh, strongly than the performance suggested or warranted and then they had another defeat um, against Gladbach is this just the kind of problem that is inevitable. Um, I recall Julian Nagelsmann mentioning uh, even last season that without training it's going to be difficult for the team to improve and he made the same point again that there's just no time to train and just doesn't have a lot of work, uh, ability to work with, with players. Or is it kind of just a more a reflection of you know them having one or two issues that that they find perhaps harder to deal with. No, I think they're okay. I, I think they were in the game at Old Trafford at one nil down. I thought they collapsed in a way that we wouldn't have expected, in a way that Julian Nagelsmann wouldn't have expected, and he seemed genuinely angry uh, after that defeat and and a bit baffled as to how his team had fallen away so badly because you don't associate that with them as a group. And I think he felt the performance was okay against Gladbach. It's, they're up against a good team. They made some chances, didn't take them. So I think in general, he'll feel that there aren't any huge issues. But I think you're absolutely right, Rafa. He is a guy that gets quite complex information across to his players, and he needs time to do that. He's always thinking about improvements he can make. He's always thinking about how they can react to the opposition and what they can do. And it's tough to do that, tough to have that kind of information download if you're playing every few days and you're playing high pressure games every few days. Because having got to the semifinals of the Champions League, even though it's a tough group, to not qualify for the knockout phase this season, I think would be seen as a, as a big setback. So, you know, they've been under pressure from the get-go and we'll see how they deal with that. But as a team... Bearing in mind they haven't had Conrad Limo, who I think is hugely important for that team, and Marcel Zabitzer only just back from injury, I think they've done okay. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think there is there is the inevitable um, loss of of rhythm and performance without one or two of those players. I think Zabitzer, as you said, has has been missed and is not 
not quite back to his best. He had a, quite a calamitous introduction at Old Trafford, um, giving away the penalty and making a mistake for for another goal. But they should they should bounce back. They should they should be uh, pretty competitive. And they are of course in action against PSG, which provides another opportunity for. Julian Agutman's side to strike back and provides another opportunity for him to shine in no doubt would be, be a very interesting outfit uh, at this stage. Um, can't wait to see what he'll uh, We're not allowed pick. to talk about his clothes apparently. Well, not to him, perhaps not to his face when uh, no. when he's just lost a game. But uh, I once read that his wife helps him with with picking out the clothes. Maybe it's it's time for someone a bit more professional um, to to help out there. But uh, that's for another day. Um, that's all we have time for today. Thank you very much, Christoph and Kevin. Thank you very much, dear listeners. Please come back next week for when we discuss the big Bayern Dortmund showdown. Until then, bye bye. Thank you.